Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to a fresh new week, a fresh new episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, and thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying. Regardless if you are a consistent listener or a brand new listener, welcome to today's episode. Today is June 28th. That is a Monday. Welcome, everybody. Hopefully, you had a fantastic weekend. The weather was freaking beautiful you guys know that i i rant so much uh or rave so much about the weather i should say because it's summertime be outside we weren't weren't really able to do this last year so now that we have the opportunity to with uh, the country and the world opening more up because of covid kind of almost almost being a thing of the past go outside go to the beach go to the park do this do that have some fun get out of your house because we all lived in our houses all summer last year so it is refreshing to be outside enjoy the nice warm weather because before you know it the deep dark depression we call winter will be here soon anyways folks thank you so much for uh, joining me again today like i said my name is james murphy aka murph and you can find me on social media at murphs underscore boston st where the st stands for sports talk i just ran out of characters for my username it's unfortunate, I know. And if you're listening on YouTube, please make sure you subscribe to the channel for not only Murph's Boston Sports Talk episodes, but just crazy other YouTube content over there as well. The Wheel of Dynasty, um, why can't I think of it? History of old New England sports teams, vlogs, and the like. So be sure to check that out if you haven't already, regardless if you're just watching this on YouTube or if you're just listening to this now please do go check that out as I would greatly, greatly appreciate that. What a weekend we had. Let's just talk sports. That's what we're here for, right? And we have a ton of stuff to talk about today. We have a lot of Red Sox to talk about. I mean, I guess not a lot. We just have a weekend's worth of Red Sox to talk about as they swept swept the New York Yankees in Fenway Park over the past weekend, which is an exciting, exciting sight to see. And we also have some Celtics mock trades to talk about. I have uh, formulated and meticulated some more mock trades, obviously with the most recent trade of Al Horford returning, Kemba Walker leaving. What does that do for the team? What can the team now do moving forward? I do kind of want to dive into how the Celtics have a two-year window to make this work, and I'm going to explain why about that. And then I also want to dive into something fun that I wanted to do with hockey. But 
it didn't really work because I didn't know that they already found the solution. And when they announced that Seattle Kraken were going to be the 32nd hockey team, I knew that they were going to have to realign some way, shape, or form. And I actually planned on for, I think, Wednesday's episode last week, I was going to do that, do the realignment, this, this, and that, you know, how this and that will work. And I do more research about it. And they already said that the Arizona Coyotes will move to the Central Division. I'm like, bro, ugh, you basically just ruined it for me. So that was a topic that I really wanted to talk about. And then another topic in terms of divisions and conference that I want to talk about is the basketball setup. I think it's a little kind of, it needs a little modernization. It needs a little bit of a fixing. And I have meticulated and drafted a way to fix that where it is tremendously better, I think, in my opinion. And I will explain four things that I took into consideration and obviously break down these new divisions and conferences that I have uh, formulated. But first, like I said, we have so much Red Sox to talk about. And if you listened on Friday, which I'm assuming that you did, you will have heard that I ranted about the Boston Red Sox offense inconsistency or their consistency issues. And I would like to say, I'm going to believe that over the past three games this weekend against the Yankees, they shut me up. I don't know if anyone's listening over there um, in the dugout at Fenway Park, but I was sitting here on Friday yelling and screaming and crying and bitching. They're like, oh my God, your offense sucks. It's so inconsistent. You score this many runs one day. You score that many runs the next day, and then you explode, and then you suck. It's like, ugh, back and forth, up and down. There's no consistency in that the team will fail long-term if they're not able to fix this problem. Now, I know it's only been three days, three games, but they were against the Yankees. And at the beginning of the season, a lot of people pegged the Yankees to not only win the American League East, reach the World Series, and I would even go on a limb and say a lot of people had the Yankees winning the World Series. Me, I wasn't in that boat. I did pick them to win the division, and that is something I want to explore if we have time later today. Maybe I'll save it for Friday's episode. I don't know yet. But the Yankees are struggling as of late. However, they're still a formidable team. I mean, entering the weekend, they were six games above 500. They're now leaving the weekend three games above 500. And the Yankees still have a relatively good team. Relatively solid pitching staff. Obviously, they have Garrett Cole, one of the <coughs> best pitchers <coughs> in baseball. <laughs> Sticky. <coughs> and um, they were really able to exploit him on Sunday. But other than that, the Red Sox offense looked really good. Five runs on Friday, four runs uh, yeah, Saturday, and then nine runs yesterday on Sunday. I'm going to take it. I sat here on Friday and said, if you can score three, four, ru- three, four five runs on a consistent basis, your offense will overall be good because your offense your lineup is too good to just stay at a three four five run team you got Bogarts Martinez Devers Verdugo's coming alive now uh Christian Vasquez hit a home run yesterday you know Bobby Dahlback has been struggling but you know that the potential is there hopefully that that lineup can pop and if they do go out and make a trade bring up Jaron Duran that lineup's going to get even better So three, four, five runs should be a baseline. This weekend, it was a baseline. And we saw yesterday that they were able to pop off for nine runs where Eduardo Rodriguez was able to shut them down for six innings, only giving up two runs. That's exactly what I'm looking for. That's exactly what I'm looking for because the pitching staff overall, 
overall, in general, has been really good this year. And if you can, pitching staff-wise, average zero to three runs given up night in and night out, you know, if you look if you look at the statistics, you're more likely going to win a lot of baseball games that way. You know, yes, sometimes you're going to give up five, six runs. Sometimes you're only going to give up zero, one runs. And your offense will be the other way around where it's not going to score any runs and it's going to explode for 10 runs. But like I said, generally speaking this year, the team has been very good pitching-wise where they've given up a lot of uh, where they've had a lot of games where they've given up a few runs, and the Red Sox offense is good enough where that they can explode for runs. So it's a great balance of the pitching staff and the lineup. It really is. And if you can kind of go through the season with that mindset, like, hey, if we can score this many runs every night and we can only give up this many runs every night, we should win. And I think that should be the mindset going forward. Obviously, the Yankees were only able to score three, two, and two runs over this weekend for those each games. That's seven total runs. Red Sox scoring five, four, and nine added up. That's 18 runs. So you just look at the math right there. It works out. The baseline for the pitching, which I'm saying is zero to three runs. Yankees scored three runs on Friday, two runs on Saturday, and two runs yesterday on Sunday. If you can score three to five runs for the offense, Red Sox scored five runs on Friday, four runs on Saturday, and they exploded for nine runs yesterday being Sunday. There you go, people. There's the formula to winning baseball games. Now, I understand. I understand. There's going to be days where the pitching staff gives up 10 runs and the offense scores one run. I get that. That's going to happen. But limiting those... And having the consistency of your formula and your methods night in and night out. It should be plenty enough to overcome a game here and there where you give up 10 runs and only score one run. No team is perfect. Teams are going to have bad days. I get that. It's a long, tough season. The Red Sox have had great moments throughout the season. They've had terrible moments throughout the season. However, they haven't been bad enough to go on a four-game losing streak all season. If we remember to the beginning of the year, they started the season on a three-game losing streak to the Baltimore Orioles. And that was their worst losing streak all season long. Was the first week into the season. Was it week or weekend? Whatever it was. Uh, I'm curious now. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. No. No, uh, that just says final. I thought that said Friday. April 2nd. Third and fourth. What, what what days were those? Uh, yeah, it was a weekend series. Okay, so for the first weekend of the season, that was the you know basically the the bottom line for the Red Sox, and hopefully they can only go up from there, and they have. And that's it. I mean, I know, I guys, I know it's only one series, but look at who you were playing. A, it was against your arch rivals, the Yankees. B, it was against a divisional rival. C, it was against a league contender it was against a a betting favorite it was also against a world series hopeful team in the new york yankees so it's not like you just you know beat up on some scrub team like the orioles or the twins this year you actually played a really really good team you put that formula to work or at least my formula i'm going to take credit for it my formula to work and you're seeing positive results now you have a series coming up against the Royals, a four-game series in Boston. You lost two or three to them uh, just last week on June 
18th to the 20th. You lost two of three to them there. Let's get some momentum going here, okay? The standings are very tight right now. Obviously, the Rays are half a game back. The Blue Jays are six, and the Yankees are six and a half. So you have a little bit of breathing room from third and fourth place, but the Rays are right down your neck, who are, who are slacking a little bit, four of six in the last ten games. You're six and four, so the momentum jersey's kind of you know wearing Red Sox right now. Just get some momentum against a team that is a lesser opponent. The Kansas City Royals are 33 and 43 right now. They're 11 and a half games back behind the White Sox for first place in the American League Central. I think this is a good opportunity for the Red Sox to really start to, uh, you know, I don't want to say balloon their lead in the division because the Rays, I don't even know who the Rays are playing. They're playing the Nationals. Then they got the Blue Jays, the Indians, the Blue Jays again. And the Braves, so they got some decent competition coming up. And for you, the Red Sox, you got the Royals, like I mentioned. Then you go out west to play the Athletics, the Angels, and then you come back home for the Phillies, and then you go back to New York after the All Star break to play the New York Yankees. So you have some decent competition yourself coming up. Obviously, uh, the Royals, like I mentioned, they are who they are, but the Athletics, they're right there in the American League West. If it wasn't for the Astros, playing unbelievable since May whatever, like mid-May. And the Angels, they're slacking, but they still have star players on their team. Shohei Otani is a meme, a wagon, and a stud in baseball, so you have to be cautious of that. Plus, you're being on the West Coast, you know, that could be some challenging for some players with the time difference and the travel and such like that. So, you have some good games coming up yourself. Take advantage of this four-game series against the Royals, Win three of four. Sweep them if you can. Because when you go on the road to play the Athletics and the Angels, it could be a little difficult because of the reasons why I mentioned. So I'm really impressed with the Red Sox this past weekend against the Yankees. Their offense was really good, like I mentioned. Their defense was okay. And actually, I don't know. I mean, they had one error on Friday. They had no errors on Saturday. And I think they had two yesterday. No, they had none yesterday. Okay, so no, their defense was really solid. It must be the Rays series, I'm thinking. The pitching's been good. The defense has been good. And the hitting has shown consistency for at least three games now. Let's see a little bit more consistency. Get a larger sample size. So come Friday, after the four-game series, before the Oakland Athletics series on Friday, before game one of that series starts, we'll have a larger sample size to talk about. We will played a good team, or at least a team that's supposed to be good and sucking, and then against a team that has been sucking. And <laughs> and look at that sample size to give you more data to see if this method is actually working. And then obviously once you play the athletics, be a really good test out there. Because A, you'll be on the road. B, you're on the West Coast. And C, you're playing against a really, really good team this year in those Oakland athletics. So all that being said, all that being said about the Boston Red Sox, I'm kind of digging where they're at right now. I really am. Obviously, it's a tight divisional race between them and the Rays, and it's going to be for the rest of the season. I promise you that. It will be a tight divisional race probably all season. The Blue Jays are 7-3 and three in their last 10. They're now six games back from first place, like I mentioned a little bit ago. So there's someone that you kind of need to keep your eye on as well. Those Blue Jays series against the Rays will be something to keep an eye on because if the Rays lose and the Blue Jays win, then the Blue Jays are going to get closer, obviously, or, you know, and, or the Rays will get further back. 
depending on if the Red Sox are able to win. And obviously, if the Rays win and the Blue Jays lose, then the Blue Jays will get further back and the Rays will get closer. But what about those Yankees? I want to spend some time. I'm not going to do it today. I want to spend some time talking about whether the Yankees should be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline. I think on Friday, I think on Friday, I'm going to talk about teams in baseball. I'm not just going to focus on the Red Sox or the Yankees. I think I might go over teams, like 10 teams or something like that, that should be buyers or sellers that may be question marks right now. So like right now, the Yankees, I think they're a question mark whether they're going to be buyers or sellers. More than likely, they'll be buyers because they're the Yankees. But would it be smart for them to be buyers? Or should they sell some players off and just kind of kick the can on this year? Obviously, a completely non-Yankee thing to do, but something to consider. Something to consider. Like the Mariners, they're seven and a half games back from the American League West. They're 41 and 38. Should they should they be buyers? Should they be sellers? MLB wildcard. They don't show me the wildcard standings on that page. So let's go check the wildcard standings right now. And we have Tampa and Oakland right now have the wildcard spots. And the Mariners are only seven and a half games back from the wildcard spot as well. So they're kind of in the picture a little bit. They're kind of there a little bit. So that's going to be really interesting. I think I will do that on Friday. Talk about a handful of teams, whether they should be buyers or if they should be sellers come the trade deadline. I think that'll be really interesting because the trade deadline is a month away or so, you know, a month and a couple of days or so at this point. Obviously, as we get closer, we're going to have all-star stuff to talk about, home run derby things to talk about, and also the trade deadline, which being on July 31st. But that is going to wrap up my baseball segment for uh, today's episode. Let me know whether social media or down in the comments below if you're watching this on YouTube. What do you think about the Boston Red Sox in their three-game sweep of the New York Yankees over this past weekend? How do you feel leaving this series and moving on to the Kansas City Royals, having the Yankees ousted from Beantown after losing three straight to our loved, beloved Boston Red Sox? I'm feeling really good. I know a couple Yankees fans, and I'm just kind of you know mocking them because, hey, we're 6-0 and against the Yankees this year. 6-0. and Two three-game sweeps of the Bronx Bombers. <laughs> okay. So that's going to move us to our next topic, and that is going to be the Boston Celtics. Now, I don't know how long I plan on talking about the Celtics for, but I do want to talk uh, talk about them in reference to some mock trades. I'd be loving this trade NBA trade machine that's online somewhere. I don't know. I just type in NBA trade machine, the first link that pops up. I love it. It has, I think it's relatively accurate in terms of contracts, picks. I mean, like, hours after the Kemba Walker-Al Horford trade went down, they already had the picks moved and the players moved as well. I'm like, damn, they're already on top of that. Okay. So I have four trades here that I kind of want to talk about. And I don't know which one I want to go over first. Hmm. I'm going to go over the one that I feel is less realistic, and that's a trade between the Celtics and the Clippers. You guys are going to laugh at this trade. And I, okay, before I go over any trade, they don't, this trade machine doesn't really take into account draft picks, like the value of draft picks. They just 
really focus more on the financial piece of it to make sure the money works for both sides or three teams or four teams, however many teams are involved. So if you're trading a contract worth $10 million and this team only has $5 million of space, it doesn't matter how many draft picks are involved. That trade will not work because of the cap. Now, a team could have a contract to try and trade a player for $10 million. They have $20 million in space and you could give them 10 draft picks and it don't matter who that player is, it's going to be accepted because the money works. So let's just keep that in mind. So I push forward with my mock trades knowing that a couple of pieces may need to be adjusted, whether a role player, a young rookie, or a couple draft picks from the future, uh, like future years, another second round, or maybe like, you know, a first round or, you know, unprotected, whatever, whether it's unprotected, protected first round pick. I know that, you know, there could be some micro movements in my mock trades, but I try to make this as realistic as possible. And hopefully, hopefully I would like to see some of these trades. I don't want to say happen necessarily, but these are trades I wouldn't mind seeing or at least have a strong discussion about. So with all of the caveats, I guess, out of the way, this first trade is between the Celtics and the Clippers, where the Celtics will be moving on from Tristan Thompson, Carson Edwards, and a second-round pick for Rajon Rondo and Nicholas Batum. Now, is that a plausible trade? I don't know. The money works. Could that second-round pick need to be a first-round pick? Maybe. Maybe two second-round picks gets the deal done. But the reason why I'm bringing back Rajon Rondo and Nicholas Batum, or I guess bringing in Nicholas Batum, is because A, Rondo will be a great, he could even be your starter with Kemba now gone. He could be a starting point guard. He could be your backup um, point guard. He's a floor general. He has experience. People in Boston, I think ever since he's left, relatively like him and miss him. And he's a veteran who has insane basketball IQ. He's helped elevate teams wherever he's gone with the exception of the Kings when he when he went to the Kings I I just think bringing him back would be very very good for what this team needs because they need someone that is a floor general a primary ball handler someone that's not going to want to score and shoot all damn night someone that will facilitate that likes facilitating especially when you have Jalen Brown Jason Tatum um I don't know about Evan Fournier. I don't know if he's going to be coming back or not. Obviously, you have Marcus Smart, who was a point guard when we drafted him, but now is kind of more formulated into more of a two-guard, kind of off-ball guard. And then Nicholas Batum, low contract. I believe his contract uh, signed a two-year deal with the Clippers, I believe. So bringing him in, a savvy veteran as well, who's kind of known to be a stationary shooter, at least nowadays be more of a stationary shooter, but someone that can also rebound, facilitate, guard a couple positions, someone that the Clippers wouldn't mind moving on from. Obviously, they're still in the playoffs now against the Suns, so we still have to wait and see how that series plays out and whatnot, if they want to keep them or not. But if it's just Thompson Edwards in a second for Rondo, I'm cool with that. (laughs) I'm cool with that too. I don't think I just want Nicholas Batum. I think him being thrown in this trade for solely bringing in a veteran presence because the Celtics significantly lack veteran presence hence why Rondo would be a great fit along with him being a ball handler and a passer a facilitator a mentor leader and whatnot but also bringing him Nicholas Nicholas Batum someone that's not going to demand a lot of shots who can help shoot defend a couple positions and low veteran 
Uh, Tristan Thompson, I think a lot of people here in Boston are done with him. I think trading him, getting the, that contract off the books. Carson Edwards, I, I don't really think a lot of people like him. Hence why I think that second-round pick might have to be two second-round picks, maybe a first-round pick. But something like this. Obviously, I don't expect this exact trade, but something on the lines like this. I feel like we could all kind of wrap our heads around a potential trade with this being the main idea, right? So that is the first trade where Rondo and Nicholas Batum come to the Celtics from the Los Angeles Clippers in exchange for Tristan Thompson, Carson Edwards, and a 2022 second round pick. That is the first one. The Which one do I want to talk about next? I'm going to talk about this one. This one's kind of interesting. Actually, no, I'm going to talk about this one. So this is a three-team trade between the Celtics, the 76ers, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, this one is very, very interesting because there are so many reports now where people are saying that the 76ers should move on from Ben Simmons. And no, I do not have the 76ers trading Ben Simmons to the Celtics. They would never do that. Nor do I want Ben Simmons. I don't think he's that good of a player at all. He is not worth the money. He is a almost a seven-foot point guard who can play some good defense, yes. And that's about it. That's it. So I have the 76ers trading Ben Simmons to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Right? And then the Cleveland Cavaliers are trading Colin Sexton to Boston Celtics. I'm still kind of hooked on the fact that the Cavaliers want to move on from Colin Sexton. I think so. And if they're acquiring Ben Simmons, then I think that just kind of pushes them to want to move on from Colin Sexton even more. I think Colin Sexton would fit here in Boston. You know, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago when I did another mock trade with the Celtics and the Cavs. And I think the Thunder at that point before the Kemba Horford trade. Colin Sexton is more of a slasher kind of point guard. He can score. He can score 20 points. But I don't think he's going to, like I said, require and demand the shots. If you can get 15 to 18 points per game from him with like six, seven assists, that's a win. He does have a team option, so the Cavaliers could uh, accept the option, then trade him. He's only $6.3 million this year for one more deal. And I don't think you'd have to trade all too much in order to get him. I don't know what a contract extension will look like for Colin Sexton. Now, Colin Sexton was the player that the Cavaliers drafted with the sixth overall pick a few years ago when the Celtics traded that first-round pick, Isaiah and Jay Crowder, for Kyrie Irving. So just kind of full circle a little bit, which I think is also kind of neat. But the big grunt, uh, I guess not grunt, but I guess the big part of this mock trade here is what the 76ers are receiving in return for Ben Simmons. And that is the following. Seti Osman, Luke Cornett, Peyton Pritchard, a 2022 first round top five protected pick, a 2024 uh, first round pick unprotected, a 2025 first round pick unprotected, a 2022 second round pick, and a 2023 second round pick. That's So that's obviously coming from both the Celtics and the Cavaliers here because being the three-team trade, it's pointless for the Celtics to send stuff to Cleveland for Colin Sexton. Might as well just send it to the uh, 76ers because that's where those pieces would be going, right? That's how three-team trades work. 
So just to recap, the Cavaliers would be acquiring Ben Simmons in exchange for Seti Osman, a 2022 first-round top-five protected pick, a 2022 second-round pick, and a 2024 first-round pick that's unprotected. And the Celtics would be acquiring Colin Sexton from the Cavaliers, but sending the following package to the 76ers in return. Luke Cornett, Peyton Pritchard, a 2025 first-round pick, and a 2023 second-round pick. That is a massive haul for the 76ers. I, that is a huge-ass haul. Now, obviously, Luke Cornett, I don't think will be very good in any uh, trade piece. Like, I'm not going to dangle Luke Cornett. It's more of a money kind of thing. But Seti Osman has been a very good, decent player for the Cavaliers so far. He still has three years left on his contract. He's making roughly around $8 million. Peyton Pritchard is probably the big piece in return for the 76ers from the, seven, uh, from the Celtics. A lot of people are high on Peyton Pritchard. He's a primary ball handler. You've seen the clutch shooting. You've seen the nice flashy passes. I think his ceiling is very high and has a lot of potential. I just think when you're in a win-now mode and you have a two-year window, I think bringing in a Colin Sexton-type player is much more valuable and helps make that window more obtainable. And I'm going to go into that two-year window, my last mock trade, because I think you guys are really going to like that one. So that is a massive three-team trade. Obviously, the 76ers are acquiring a lot of pieces. I don't think this is a reset or a rebuild for them at all. They still have Joel Embiid. They still have Tobias Harris. They're getting Seti Osman, like I said, who's a who's a shooter. He's got some years left on his contract and who's been relatively good for the Cavaliers. It's hard to be great for the Cavaliers, you know, ever since LeBron has left. Peyton Pritchard, who has a lot of potential as a point guard. You throw him in that starting lineup and just facilitate take a couple shots, have them come off the bench, and then obviously you're getting a ton of draft picks in return as well. There's no way that the uh, the Cavaliers give up their first-round pick this year. Obviously, the Celtics don't have a first-round pick this year to give up, hence why that there's a little bit more density to the first round uh, to the draft picks in return to the 76ers. Yes, there may be some more pieces that need to be involved from one side or the other, but the foundation and the initial mold of this deal – I think can be visualized from you, the listener, and just from a general basketball standpoint with obviously Ben Simmons potentially being ousted from uh, 76ers. The 76ers want to get a good haul in return, stay competitive. And Celtics, I think, would throw their hat in the ring as well just to move a couple pieces around in order for them to get better, replace the point guard position with now Kemba Walker gone from the Celtics. So I really like this trade as well. I think this is a good trade with a lot of potential. Obviously, this is a interconference kind of trade that may not ever happen because the 76ers don't want to help out the Celtics. Celtics don't want to help out the 76ers. But we've seen them help out each other before, uh, as recent as 2017 when the Celtics traded the first overall pick to the 76ers for the third overall pick, now Jason Tatum, and a future first-round pick as well. So there is that trade right there. And the third trade I want to talk about is a trade between the Celtics and the Rockets. And that trade includes... I I don't think this trade would ever happen. But imagine if it does. So the Celtics will send over Tristan Thompson, Grant Williams, and a 2022 second-round pick, along with a sign-and-trade of Evan Fournier, or Evan Fournier, for 
John Wall and a 2023 top five protected first round pick. What do you think of that? What do you think of that? I think that's a good trade, right? Listen, John Wall is 30, 32 now. Oh God. I know he was 31. He's only 30. Okay. He's entering his age 31 season. He played relatively decent. Obviously this past year, 20.6 points, almost seven assists, shooting 40.4 from the field, 31.7 from three on a terrible Rockets team. It's hard to kind of really play exceptionally, exceptionally well, right? Being on that kind of a team, put him on the Celtics. I think he could blossom, be that third star in line with Tatum and Brown, be a passer who he is. He doesn't score a bunch of points. He scores and passes and facilitates. This is basically an uh, upgraded version of that Clippers Celtics trade with Rondo, I believe, because John Wall is a superior player. The only big thing is that John Wall's contract is so massive, hence why the Celtics compensation to the Rockets isn't as much as you would think it is initially. Obviously, with John Wall having that knee quad injury coming back, he's relatively healthy. He looks really good, but he's going to be 31 years old. His contract is over $44 million for the next two years. It's kind of tough to move that without having to give up more, right? What you saw with the Celtics and the Thunder. Celtics send Kemba Walker and a first-round pick this year for Horford, Moses Brown. Um, I see. I keep doing that. Moses Brown. Moses Brown and a second-round pick later down the line or whatever. I think you can kind of see something like this as well. I mean, Tristan Thompson, who, you know, big man. I think the Rockets could use someone like that. I mean, he's they have Christian Wood. Throw him, throw Thompson alongside that. That wouldn't be too bad. Grant Williams, a stretch big. I, I don't really know there. And then a 2022 second-round pick because. And then a sign trade with Evan Fournier who is a good scoring option. He's a secondary ball handler who you can shoot. Like I say, good scoring option to kind of replace John Wall. And obviously with Eric Gordon himself getting older, bringing in a younger Fournier can kind of give you a little juice for the Houston Rockets, who are still going to be in rebuilding mode even after this trade is done and completed. But this is something that could help put that Celtics um, two-year winning window back into full picture. On this website, it says that the Celtics lose two wins with this trade and the Rockets gain two wins from this trade. I don't exactly see where that math adds up. Maybe because of Tristan Thompson and Evan Fournier being a win apiece. I I, I don't know. I don't really know. But maybe that to, uh, that first round pick in 2023 is a top 10 lottery protected. But the foundation is something here that could you know really be thought upon. I just don't see John Wall... After this contract, resigning with the the Rockets or even staying with the Rockets to the end of this contract. So might as well take op- advantage of that with the Celtics having some trade exceptions and flexibility from the Kemba Horford deal to bring in a player like this who, like I said, could be a great third star along with Tatum and Brown. Now the fourth trade, the fourth trade that I want to talk about is a juicy one. Hold on. I need to get some water for this one because this one's a really good one. Make sure you're drinking your water today. It's going to be hot, steamy, and hot. (laughs) So this is a three-team trade between the Celtics, the Grizzlies, and the Wizards. 
Yeah, I said the Wizards. Yeah, I, I, I said the Wizards. And I'm just going to be straight up. The Celtics acquire Bradley Beal. Finally. They finally acquire Bradley Beal. I'm going to say it. But it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. So, this is how it happens. Bradley Beal has two years left on his contract for $34.5 million each. The Washington Wizards, the Bullets, they're not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. Trade Bradley Beal, get a ton of assets back, and hit that reset button. You traded John Wall, time to trade Bradley Beal. You could even trade Russell Westbrook. I think wouldn't be that bad. But yes, they did technically make the playoffs this year. Are they a playoff team, though? Moving forward into next year, I, I don't know. I just don't know. And Russell Westbrook, he's getting older as well. And if you are the Wizards and you don't make any moves, you don't trade Bradley Beal, you don't trade Russell Westbrook, how much improvement do you see yourself getting? Are you really going to jump up to be a fourth or a th- three seed? Well, as long as the Nets and the Bucks, the 76ers look like they're good, the Knicks played very well this year. The Hawks played very well this year. I just don't know. And hopefully, obviously, hopefully the Celtics can bounce back as well. The Hornets look like they have something going down in Charlotte. I don't know. Could this just have been a freak year I, I for the Wizards? I don't know. So anyways, the Boston Celtics finally acquired Bradley Beal. And oh, also trading Bradley Beal, free up that contract. It would free up more money for them to sign someone, maybe someone different or a couple players in the offseason to max slots. Anyways, Celtics acquire Bradley Beal for the umpteen time. They give up Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard, a sign-and-trade of Evan Fournier again, a 2023 unprotected first-round pick, a 2025 top-three protected pick, and a 2022 second-round pick. In addition, and this is where the Grizzlies come in, in addition... The Celtics will be sending over Tristan Thompson, Carson Edwards, and a 2023 second round pick. And the Grizzlies will send over a 2022 top 10 first round protected pick. So that's kind of where the the Grizzlies are giving up a 2022 top 10 protected first round pick for Thompson, Carson Edwards, and a 2023 second round pick. Would the Grizzlies actually do that? I don't know. Could they use a Carson Edwards type player? I could absolutely see them using that. A good, uh, I don't want to say a good shooter, a stationary shooter, someone that can, I don't want to say be a floor general, but you know, can be a ball handler as well. Part of that second unit out in Memphis, Tristan Thompson being that big man, running gun, tough kind of guy, bring a lot of toughness to that team with Jonas Valanciunas. If he comes back, obviously with John Morant out there and those boys in Memphis, that's why the pick is top 10 protected. In 2022, the Memphis Grizzlies will more than likely, I think, be a playoff team next year. I like to hope so in the Western Conference. Maybe that that top 10 has to be lottery protected instead. But would the Wizards agree to it at that point? I don't know. Celtics don't have their first round pick this year to dangle in front of teams. Hence why they need to kind of bring in a third team, send, send a small package out there, get another first round pick so they can just flip it. And send it to, I guess in this case, the Wizards here. But wow, this is a big trade. This is my favorite trade out of the four of them that I presented to you. And this is where that two-year window comes into play that I've been talking about 
all episode. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have two full years left here in Boston. Okay? Because, I say that because, Jalen Brown just entered and finished his first year of his four-year contract extension. Jason Tatum is entering this coming year, 2021-2022, the first year of his new four-year contract extension. Now, oftentimes, players in the NBA, if they're unsatisfied with their current situation, will want to be traded around the halfway point of that contract. I don't know if Jalen Brown would willingly want to get traded out of Boston. I mean, maybe. I could absolutely see that from Jason Tatum because his ego is bigger. He thinks he's a much he's a top five superstar. That's what he thinks, not what I think. So you finish this year, you finish next year. Jalen Brown will have one year left on his deal, which would be a good contract to move, you know, if you're selling or if you're a team looking for a player like Jalen Brown at that time. And then come that time, Jalen uh, Jason Tatum will be entering the third year of his four-year contract. So he will have two years left on that deal. And if he's unsatisfied here in Boston with the players, the situation, the locker room, the coach, well, hopefully not the coach because he helped pick the coach. But you see what I'm saying? He could get traded at that point. That's just kind of what has happened throughout the league. One year, two years left on your deal. You're getting traded if you're unsatisfied. So you bring in, you bring in a Bradley Beal type player who has two years left on his deal. He has those two years left on his deal. Bradley Beal is from St. Louis. Jason Tatum is from St. Louis. They're boys. They tweet each other. They're friends. I mean, Wizards Celtics games are over. They're always hugging and loving each other. They're boys. They're bros. That's just how it is. And I think after a couple seasons of unsatisfactory performances from the Celtics and their personnel, you bring in a ball player like Bradley Beal, who has been rumored and linked to the Celtics for a couple years now, would absolutely make Jason Tatum so happy it would satisfy him he would probably even perform better than he already is because he has his bro he has his boy Bradley Beal in town those two wouldn't have to you know find a way to go to a different team when Bradley Beal's contract is up in two years he can go sign with team A and when Tatum's contract only has two years left on his deal he could demand a trade to team A and then Beal and Tatum go play for Team A together instead of you, the Celtics. So if you push your chips into the basket and trade for Bradley Beal, you will have two years, two guaranteed full years of Bradley Beal, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown. And after, so Bradley Beal's contract would end first, then uh, Browns, and then Tatum's. But when Bradley Beal's contract ends, that's when that two-year window that I kept talking about will end. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it makes a lot of sense. You will probably have to give up more to get a Bradley Beal type player. Hence why the Grizzlies were kind of brought in by giving them a few pieces and them sending the Wizards a first round pick. It sucks that you don't have your first round pick this year because you had to trade it with Kemba Walker to get rid of that contract. But if you kind of add more first round picks or you give up a couple other pieces to get other first round picks just to trade it to the Wizards here, I could see it absolutely working out. Like I said at the beginning of this whole mock trade segment, this trade machine only makes sure 
that the financials work out. And in this case, the financials do work out for all three teams involved. The Celtics are moving Tristan Thompson. They're moving Evan Fournier, who has a big cap hold. Like I say, he's a sign-and-trade. They're also moving Neesmith, a former first-round pick. Pritchard, a first-round pick. So they have a few minute, few million combined, plus the trade, uh, trade exceptions that you have banked that you need to use anyways. Guys, girls, ladies, gentlemen, this makes sense. This makes sense. And it gives the Wizards a good scorer in Evan Fournier, who's a, a, a relatively decent good scorer in Evan Fournier, a Peyton Pritchard ball handler who can lead that second unit, play alongside Russell Westbrook, and then you also have Aaron Neesmith, who is a supposed to be an exceptional shooter, who can hopefully help spread the floor, and if his game develops, be more than just a stationary shooter. So you kind of get a lot of good uh, needs filled out here, from the Celtics at least. Plus, you get draft picks in return for f- the future. Now, will the Wizards... W- I don't know where the Wizards will be in you know two, three, four years from now. But do you see yourself with Bradley Beal? Do you see yourself with Russell Westbrook? At least in two, three, four years, you can see yourself with Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard, Evan Fournier, who's that sign-and-trade contract, is four years for $72 million, $18 million a year. And you'll have draft picks to follow. You can get all that and just give up Bradley Beal. Also be competitive for this year, but also put yourself in a competitive position for years to come. Now, yes, I know Bradley Beal. I mean, Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard, Evan Fournier are no Bradley Beal. I know that. But when you look at the bigger picture in the Eastern Conference, the Nets, the Bucks, the 76ers, the Hawks are, are clearly young and good. The Knicks were young and good this year. Hopefully, hopefully, obviously, you're helping out the Celtics here, who that might be a problem with, hence why you may not want to give Bradley Beal to them. But if you're getting a lucrative package, you got to make a business decision that puts your business, the Washington Wizards, in the best position to move forward. Getting young assets, getting draft picks. I, I, I think it's something that should be really considered by these Washington Wizards. Like I said, some pieces may need to be moved around here and there. I get that. I understand that. But the foundation and the idea of this trade is the main focal point here. And I think this is a conversation worth having because, like I said, that two-year window will come and go sooner than you know. And if, you don't, if you're not able to do anything with this current Celtics roster, then you wasted the prime of both Tatum and Brown. And so far, Brad Stevens has been making moves left and right, trading Kemba and hiring Ime Udoka. Hopefully another domino falls to make this team a competitive team because so far, I'm impressed with Brad Stevens. And if he can make a big splash like Bradley Beal, make his superstar and Jason Tatum happy, you're putting yourself in that competitive position to be a favorite in the Eastern Conference and even potentially a finals champion favorite as well if you have Beal, a healthy Brown, and of course, a happy Tatum. So what do you guys think of those potential, those potential mock trades that I presented to you, all four of them? I want to hear your thoughts and opinions about that, whether it's through social media, at Mercs underscore Boston ST, or if you comment down below on YouTube. I want to hear your thoughts, opinions, concerns, questions, comments, whatever it may be. I'm really excited 
to have that conversation, that debate, that argument, or whatever it may be with you. Because Celtics so far have made some moves. The Kemba Horford trade, the hiring of Udoka. I think Brad Stevens means business. He knows how important Jason Tatum is to this team. He knows the landscape and how the NBA operates as a player-orientated league. And to keep your superstar player happy, you bring in who he wants. Now, you may say that Jason Tatum is not a superstar yet. He's not a LeBron. He's not a Giannis. He's not a Luka. Yes. But in your eyes, from the Celtics organization, in their front office, you view Jason Tatum as those players. You give that you give Tatum that same treatment because he still has the potential to be a top five superstar. He does. He's 22, 23 or whatever. He has the potential to be that player. And you give that player whatever he needs to help get to that point because if he gets to that point of that superstardom, then the Celtics will be in a much better position in a much better place to win an NBA Finals championship, which is obviously the main goal here. Otherwise, what are we doing with our time? So, continuing and sticking with basketball here. I know, a lot of basketball chat is going on. The NBA division and conferences. I alluded to it at the beginning of the episode. There is a problem. There is a big problem here. And I got to scoot closer because this is going to be a serious, serious conversation. Well, how serious, I don't really know. But obviously, I've talked about expansion in Major League Baseball before. This conversation will have no expansion conversation at all. However, I do think basketball should expand. But that's a conversation for another day because there's some markets that haven't been explored. And I think that would be a good idea for them. However, that's not this conversation. I'm talking about the NBA division and conference realignment. I think that this league needs to realign for four, I don't want to say four reasons, because uh, I guess they're not really reasons, they're just things I'm considering. But if you look at the landscape of the league right now, it's kind of uh, a little sloppy, I think at least. I mean, you have the Timberwolves, literally all by themselves, a Western Conference team all by themselves, when you have the Bucks and the Bulls right there, right there. Then you got the Grizzlies as part of the Southwest division they're kind of by themselves but they're more closer to atlanta and charlotte and even oklahoma but oklahoma is in the northwest division now i understand that oklahoma city thunder used to be the seattle C- uh, seattle seahawks the seattle supersonics who were in the northwest division so just keeping the oklahoma city thunder in the northwest division makes a lot of sense i get that then you look at the suns part of the pacific division and they don't even touch the pacific ocean The Washington Wizards are in the Southeast Division, but the 76ers, the Brooklyn Nets, the Knicks, even the Cavaliers are right there. The uh, the Charlotte Hornets, yes, are there, but they're kind of far from the Hawks, the Magic, and the Heat in the same breath. Now, the NBA has really made an effort to cut down on team travel. They are kind of, they extended the season the season length, not game length. I'm sorry, not game length. Not like uh, amount of games. So they play 82 games, obviously. They're not extending that, but they're extending the physical length of the season by two weeks. They did this a couple years ago to limit back-to-backs, to limit four games in five nights, to limit eight-game rodeo uh, road stands, to help you know players rest more, get less injured, not be uh, out for load management. 
and also help with the whole emission and, you know, economics of, you know, having a healthy planet, right? So having the Minnesota Timberwolves not be anywhere near their fellow division foes in the Portland Trailblazers, the Utah Jazz, the Denver Nuggets, and the Oklahoma City Thunder is a problem. The Memphis Grizzlies aren't really anywhere close to the their division in the Mavericks, Spurs, Rockets, and the Pelicans. I mean, I guess they're kind of close to the Pelicans. That's kind of a problem. Uh, the Wizards, not really close to their division foes, except the Charlotte Hornets. That could be kind of a thing. And I don't know. If you just look at a map of it, it just looks so sloppy. And just like the Timberwolves, are they really a Western Conference team or are they more of an Eastern Conference team? If you look at it geologically, the Grizzlies... Geo, 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 blah, blah, blah. <laughs> geologically is an Eastern Conference team. You can even make that same argument for the New Orleans Pelicans, who should be an Eastern Conference team geologically. So before I go any further, here are the four things that I took into consideration when I realigned the division and conferences. Number one, team geological location. Just kind of went into it. Number two, the NBA's efforts to limit travel for teams through longer home and away series. Something I also mentioned. Number three, this is a big one. The league needs to be shaken up to bring back casual fans as the game has gotten insufferable to watch due to the increase of three-pointers uh, being shot and fouls being drawn, which has caused a negative impact on the overall game of the NBA. A shakeup could be good for the league so that fans see, quote, something different and sees an effort to, quote, spice things up. Obviously, this is something I just made up. But the game, I honestly, this entire playoffs, I could not watch a damn game. I watched... I believe it was game three of the Celtics net series when Tatum went off. And that was the only game I watched the only game that I watched because it's literally just dribble, shoot, dribble, drive, foul. They look for fouls. They purposely draw fouls, which I guess strategically is smart for players, but it's so boring for fans. Like, yes, I understand a three pointer is worth more than a two pointer. So shoot the three, especially when you're so good from that range. I get that. But when the score is 140 to 142, there's no defense. And the game, which is supposed to be a two and a half hour game, is now three because the final five minutes is just whistle, 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 free throw, whistle, free throw, whistle, three, whistle. Like, I mean, the NBA, in terms of its uh, viewership, has gone down. And I don't know, I'm not going to sit here and say that's a civil rights movement thing you know with all the players kneeling back when George Floyd got murdered and when the whole bubble thing kind of uh, the bubble for the NBA kind of happened last year when you see uh, saw all the players you know being political and making political statements I'm not going in that direction but that is something that could be a reason why I'm not going to sit here and say I support it or I don't support it I'm being neutral here because I'm not going to get in the middle of it have a negative impact on my podcast for someone that has a uh, a different view than me. So just for the record, I'm not throwing that into my equation, but it is into some people's equations. Like I know people that aren't watching the NBA anymore because LeBron James kneeled during the national anthem. That's unfortunately a true fact. Okay. I'm not going to say I agree or disagree with it, but that is a fact. So this is something that needs to be considered because shaking the league up, be like, Ooh, this team is now playing that team a little bit. You know, that might be spicy. Like, I don't, it just, the league needs to do something different. They're not going to add another quarter to the game. They're not going to make the game shorter. 
They're not going to add more or less fouls to a player. What else can you do to kind of shake things up a little bit? And I think that this is it. Also, number four, the Western Conference is flooded with good teams as the Eastern Conference is lucky to have a couple each year. So realistically, realistically, going into the season, how many good Eastern Conference teams did we expect to see? The Bucks, probably the 76ers, and the Nets. Everyone probably would have said the Celtics too as maybe that 4 or 5 seed. Other than that, that's probably it. And you were lucky to see the Hawks play the way that they are. You were lucky to see the Knicks, the Hornets, the Wizards took storm this year making the final seed. And you look over in the West where you have the Lakers who uh, were the 7th seed, yes, but it's because LeBron James missed like 20 or so games. The Clippers, the Warriors, the Suns are now good now uh, this year. The Jazz, the Nuggets, they're good this year. The Trailblazers, they got Damian Lillard, but they're always a force to be reckoned with. Uh, the Mavericks, obviously, with Luka. So they got a bunch of teams out there in the West. And just in recent history, the Rockets were good. The Spurs were good. The Grizzlies soon will be good. It's going to it's flooded with talent out there in the West. So what I am proposing is a realignment of the divisions and the conferences. So when I say realignment of the conferences, I am saying to get rid of the East and the West conferences. So no more Eastern and no more Western conferences. Let's strip those and go with the American Basketball Conference and the National Basketball Conference. Kind of like what you see with football. Kind of like what you see with baseball. Name it whatever you want. I don't care. But just get rid of East and West. Name it something else. I just want American and National because that's what we've seen in sports. So the American Basketball Conference and the National Basketball Conference. Like I said, name it whatever you want. I don't care. But no more East and West. And then the divisions. Currently, this is what the current divisions are. The East is the Atlantic, Central, and Southeast. The West is the Southwest, Northwest, and Pacific. That's what it's currently. What I propose is a East, a North, or Midwest. I couldn't really decide on the name. I kind of like Midwest, but I think North might be a little bit better. So for now, I'm going to go Midwest just to kind of keep things a little bit more simplistic. Uh, So East, Midwest, Central, South, West, and Southwest. Those are my proposed divisions. And And the following divisions will be a part of the American Basketball Conference. The East the Midwest, and the Central. Those will be part of the American Basketball Conference. The National Basketball Conference will be comprised of the South, the West, and the Southwest. This, I think, has a good potential to really kind of help with the four things that I took into consideration. So you're stripping East and West because I tried to make this in terms of East and West, just move a couple teams around and we're good. Didn't really work out because there's like 17 teams geologically in the East and only 13 teams geologically in the West. I was like, this isn't going to work. Let's strip it down. So the East is made up of what the Atlantic was, the Celtics, the Knicks, the Nets, the 76ers, and the Raptors. That stays the same. The Midwest is comprised of the Detroit Pistons, the Indiana Pacers, the Chicago Bulls, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Central Division is comprised of the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Charlotte Hornets, 
the Memphis Grizzlies, the Washington Wizards, and the Atlanta Hawks. That is the American Basketball Conference. If you take a line from where Florida and Atlanta, I'm sorry, Florida and Georgia meet, like, you know, their border, and then you draw a direct line across the country to where Seattle would be, that's kind of how I split it up. So obviously you're probably confused. Where's the magic? Where's the heat? Well, they're in the National Basketball Conference in the South Division, which is the Miami Heat, the Orlando Magic, the Houston Rockets, the New Orleans Pelicans, and the San Antonio Spurs. That is the South Division. The Southwest Division is the Phoenix Suns, the Utah Jazz, the Denver Nuggets, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Dallas Mavericks. This one I had a little bit of trouble with because the Suns, the Jazz, the Nuggets, and the Oklahoma City Thunder make sense together. I kind of wanted the Mavericks to be in the same division as the Spurs and the Rockets, just so that trio of Texas teams kind of stayed together. I thought that would have been really good for just not for just rivalry and consistency as well. But it just it didn't really work out. So I had it. I mean, the Mavericks are the more northern team, and I guess if you're gonna have them in the South division, it makes sense to have the Rockets and the Spurs in that South division. So I moved the Mavericks to the Southwest which I think makes sense for Oklahoma, Phoenix, I guess Utah and Denver. It doesn't really make sense for it to be the quote-unquote Southwest. Call it whatever you want. I think Southwest is kind of fitting. When you have Oklahoma City and in the Northwest and the Phoenix Suns in the Pacific, I think it's okay to put the Utah Jazz and the Denver Nuggets in a quote-unquote Southwest division. So that leaves with the Western division with Los Angeles Lakers, Los Angeles Clippers, the Golden State Warriors, the Sacramento Kings, and the Portland Trailblazers. I think having all those, all four California teams plus the Trailblazers makes sense for one division. Keeping the California teams in one division, A, makes sense by itself. Portland, kind of on an island by themselves if they're not in the Pacific. I mean, the damn state of Oregon touched the Pacific Ocean. Makes more sense than having Phoenix. Plus, if you have Phoenix in that Pacific, where is Portland going to go? And if they go in the Midwest, well, they don't see their rival for damn cross half the country. Also, doesn't make any sense to be in the Southwest division that I make up with the Jazz, the Nuggets, Mavericks, Thunder, or the um, I guess they would replace the Suns there. So that is my division realignment. I'm going to go over why I picked each one to go where I kind of just talked about it, but I want to go a little bit more in depth to it. The East Celtics, Knicks, Nets, 76ers, Raptors. Like I said, that is the former Atlantic division. There was really no discussion there to be had. I kind of wanted to move the Wizards in there, but I didn't know where to put the Raptors. Now, I could have put the Rap- the Toronto Raptors in that Midwest or North division, but then which other team was going to get ousted? The Milwaukee Bucks, Chicago Bulls, Indiana Pacers, the Detroit Pistons are all so close to each other. So it was already hard to kind of move the Cleveland Cavaliers because they're right there as well. So that division was a little difficult because the Minnesota Timberwolves had to have been involved. They had to have been part of that Midwest-North division because they have no other place to go. They can't be in the, uh, the, the Western Conference because there's no other team close to them. And when I'm keeping the geological location in mind, the NBA's travel uh, limit of travel in mind, it's hard to kind of put them in that Western Conference, per se, with Western Conference teams. So putting them in the Midwest or the North Division with the Bucks, 
the Bulls, the Pacers, and the Pistons, the Cleveland Cavaliers are the most Eastern team out of that group. So just kind of bumping them to the Central Division just makes a lot more sense. You could probably put the Pacers there if you wanted to, but I think the Cavaliers is a good fit, especially with the Washington Wizards kind of close to the Cavaliers. So there's a good little rivalry right there. And then having the Grizzlies, the Hornets, and the Hawks comprise that Central Division makes a lot of sense in my eyes as well because they're a group of teams that's right there. Could you have moved the 76ers there as well? Yes, but what other team would have gone to the East because the 76ers and the Wizards are oh so close? But in terms of that East division that I have, who would have been that fifth other team to go there? Could have been the Cavaliers, sure, and the 76ers go to the Central. But uh, geologically, it didn't make any sense. Uh, The Central, like I mentioned, the Cavaliers, Hornets, Grizzlies, Wizards, and Hawks makes the most sense for me. It was a little tricky with the Hawks. I wanted them in the South Division to go with the Magic and the Heat. But when I got to like those Texas teams and then the Pelicans and the Thunder, it's like, oh, what do I do here? It's a little complicated. Plus the Grizzlies, I also wanted them in the South, maybe like a, uh, a Southeast division as well, which we already see in the NBA. But I don't know. Would it have been the Grizzlies, the Hornets, the Hawks, the Magic, and the Heat? Sure. But what does that really do? What does that really do? And then what do I do with the Wizards? What do I do with the Cavaliers? You see what I'm saying? You see the problem that I had? So kind of splitting Florida off their two teams off from that whole, I guess, American basketball conference that I formulated makes the most sense in my perspective when I keep the four things in mind that I originally went in with. So the American basketball conference is comprised of the East Division, the Midwest Division, and the Central Division. And those individual teams are the following, the Boston Celtics, the New York Knicks, the Brooklyn Nets, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Toronto Raptors, the Detroit Pistons, Indiana Pacers, Chicago Bulls, Milwaukee Bucks, Minnesota Timberwolves, Cleveland Cavaliers, Charlotte Hornets, Memphis Grizzlies, Washington Wizards, and the Atlanta Hawks. That is your American Basketball Conference and the point of James Murphy, a.k.a. AKA Murph, and I think that is the best form of a conference with the four things that I kept in mind, the geological location, the limit travel, the shaking up, and how the Western Conference is flooded and loaded with good teams. Now, if you look at the National Basketball Conference, where we have the South, the West, and the Southwest, the South, again, the Miami Heat, the Orlando Magic, the Houston Rockets, the, um, why can't I think of it? New Orleans Pelicans and the San Antonio Spurs. I think that's a good division right there because they're all South, Texas, Florida, and then obviously New Orleans with the Pelicans right there. Kind of keep that travel close, kind of just in the Gulf of Mexico right there for those five teams. The Western Conference, like I said, the four California teams and the Portland Trailblazers, it didn't make any sense otherwise. Didn't make any sense otherwise. Just going to leave it at that. Not going to split up the California teams. Portland has nowhere else to go besides the Pacific when you don't have the Minnesota Timberwolves in that same Northwest division. Southwest division, the Suns, the Jazz, the uh, I'm sorry, the Phoenix Suns, the Utah Jazz, the Denver Nuggets, Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Dallas Mavericks. Like I said, this was a tricky one. I wanted to keep those Texas teams together. But it just didn't make sense to because that division needed a fourth team 
Who was I going to put? Wasn't going to put Memphis because they're further away than the Dallas Mavericks. Dallas and Oklahoma City could have a good little rivalry right there as well. This one and the Central were probably the two that I had the biggest trouble with. But when you have Phoenix, Utah, and Denver all kind of right there, part of the, those three states right there, right next to each other, gives it a good sense of rivalry. Like I said, you have Oklahoma and Dallas right there as well. Those five teams are just a couple states away at most. And being geologically in, I guess, the southwest part of America makes a lot of sense to kind of claim it southwest. Although Utah and Colorado may not be southwest states, but you got to work with what you got. All right. So just to comprise, uh, just to go over the National Basketball Conference in Murph's point of view in this segment here, we have the Miami Heat, Orlando Magic, the Houston Rockets, New Orleans Pelicans, and the San Antonio Spurs, Los Angeles Clippers, Los Angeles Lakers, Golden State Warriors, Sacramento Kings, and the Portland Trailblazers, Phoenix Suns, Utah Jazz, the Denver Nuggets, Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Dallas Mavericks. This isn't perfect, but in my point of view, I think it's the best. Well, at least the best for what the league has. Now, the Western Conference teams are still flooded, yes. And did it really help, kind of help, like, balance the teams? Maybe not. Maybe not. But just because you put the, the West division in the American Basketball Conference, that doesn't help with the whole travel purposes, which I think is the NBA's biggest concern. The East, the Midwest, and the Central are all right there in that section of the country. And then the National Basketball Conference is kind of the whole West, that Southwest, and then also, I guess, Florida as well. I just think geologically and for the NBA's main concerned effort of the limit of the traveling and the longer home and away stands, I think makes the most sense in this perspective because just because if you put the late the West with the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Warriors in the American Basketball Conference. That doesn't really mean much because yeah, you put those teams in a different conference, but a team like players can just go to any team that they theoretically want to, and then it could shift the the balance of power again. So LeBron's getting older, Kawhi's getting older, Steph's getting older, Clay's getting older. So those teams could potentially see some decline in the coming years. So moving those teams into a completely different conference that isn't kind of grouped together just doesn't make sense because in a couple years, those teams could be ass. Meanwhile, a team that sucks like the the Wizards could be exceptionally good and be a league powerhouse in five years or so when those other players phase out. So number four, the Western Conference being flooded, I kind of put on the back burner, hence why it was the fourth thing I took into consideration. Because players come and go, teams come and go as well, but something that you don't want to really touch and fiddle with every year is something that should be kind of like locked in for the next forever, right? I mean, players bounce from team to team every single year, but you don't want to move the divisions and conferences every single year just because Kawhi and Paul George went to the Clippers, LeBron went to the Lakers, and Kevin Durant went to the Golden State Warriors. You see what I'm saying? You don't want all the you just don't want to fiddle and tinker too much. So basically from where Georgia and Florida their border touches dra- drag a line all the way through to Seattle 
where that line is is basically where the conference line is. And I think that's a great that's a, that's a great solution or a potential solution for the National Basketball Association and their division conference dilemma, which they may not see as a dilemma, but if they're trying to be very travel and earth friendly, something that they should consider because the Minnesota Timberwolves fellow rivals are the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Denver Nuggets, the Utah Jazz, and the Portland Trailblazers. Meanwhile, the Bucks, the Bulls, the Pacers, the Pistons, and the Cavaliers are all closer. The damn Raptors are even closer than the Timberwolves' fellow division rivals. So just something to consider. I really think it's a good idea. But just because I think it's a good idea, just because I think that this is something that could be imp- implemented, doesn't mean it's right, doesn't mean it will be. But I want to hear your thoughts down below in the comments or on social media at Merce underscore Boston ST where the ST stands for sports talk. I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. We covered a bunch of things, especially in the NBA with basketball. Obviously we had our touching of Red Sox Yankees weekend series at the beginning of the episode, which seems like it was forever ago after today's lengthy episode, but hopefully, like I said, you enjoyed it. Please make sure you download, listen and enjoy as always. And like I said, if you are watching this on YouTube. Please make sure you like the video if you enjoyed today's episode. Subscribe if you're new to the channel. And like I've been saying, please make sure you comment down below as I love to engage with you, the listener. So folks, everybody, that is going to do it for today's episode. Make sure you enjoy the outside weather and make sure you drink a lot of water and stay hydrated. It is going to be hot. It's going to be steamy today. Summer, like I've been saying for the past couple of months, summer is here. So make sure you plan accordingly because I do not want to see anybody pass out from dehydration. It's not fun. It is not fun at all. But folks, I will see you next episode on Friday. But between now and then, you know that I love you. You know that I will always, always see ya.